welcome to this week's chapter recap. We're taking a look at 1 Samuel chapter 13 through to 2 Samuel chapter 7. My name's Corey. I'm with Bible Discovery and Bible Discovery TV. I'm here with my husband, Matt Locke, and each week we do a chapter by chapter recap of the assigned reading because we're reading through the Bible this year, the entire Bible. So it goes pretty fast. So this is just our effort to try to help you keep up with your weekly reading. So let's just jump right in. Let's do it. You ready? Yeah, I'm always in. Okay. First Samuel chapter 13. So we get an overview of Saul's reign in First Samuel chapter 13. So basically Saul was 30 years old when he became king and he ruled for 42 years. So that means he was 72 when he finally died in battle. That's a decent age for um, an older person you know, living in that time period, having, you know, a life in battle the way that he did. We also meet Saul's son, Jonathan, and he is presented to us as pretty awesome, pretty fearless right away. Um, Also in chapter 13, we see Saul, importantly, get rejected as king by the priest and prophet Samuel. And his rejection is based off of Saul offering an unlawful sacrifice to God. And when you dig into this, it's really easy to see, you know, both sides of the story. It's easy to see, humanly speaking, why Saul did what it is that he did. But it was still wrong of Saul to do what he did by him overtaking the job of the priest and the prophet. He was going way beyond what he was anointed to do. So this rejection makes sense. So we're also told in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that the Philistines, the people group of the Philistines, had begun a full force attack on Israel. Um, and, And their strategy was to take away weapons from any Israelite territory. So in Israel, weapons became extremely rare. So that's the amount of control that the Philistines had over Israel. So significant, significant amount of control. 1 Samuel chapter 14, we get uh, some of Jonathan's warfare is described here. And we see, again, him being very brave, very valiant, and very successful as a warrior and and very upright and uh, leaning on God. We also read about questionable war choices made by Saul. So he's starting to go off where at the beginning of his reign, uh, he's making good choices and and sound military choices. And now they're starting to become questionable. First Samuel chapter 15, we see Samuel acting uh, in his role as prophet. And he tells Saul to go battle against the Amalekites um, and uh, he tells him, you know, you need when you're battling the Amalekites, don't take anything, burn it all. So don't take any loot or any plunder. There should be nothing left. It's a judgment. This is a judgment battle. But Saul doesn't do that. He allows the troops to uh, keep some of the best goods back. Uh, and his excuse is that they're going to offer them as burnt sacrifices to God. Problem is, that's not what God told Saul to do. Mm-hmm. He said, burn them right away. And now they're keeping them and they're keeping the king alive. And it's just, it's not going well. And I wanted to read to you uh, Samuel's response to Saul. when Saul's like, we're just keeping them so that we can bur- burn offerings <laughs> yeah. to God. What's the harm? And Samuel says this in verses 22 and 23. 
Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. There's a lot to explore there in that line. A lot to explore. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Mm -hmm. There's a lot there. And then also arrogance or presumption is another translation or the mm -hmm. stubbornness. Mm -hmm. Those three is as idolatry. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so Saul has decided to rebel against God. He has decided to not obey. And, and they're like, that's you basically are divining then. You're basically looking at other avenues for your wisdom. That's God right. has given you a clear word and you've rejected that word. And now you're looking for other things that you can do. That's it's right. Like divination. Because divining was like when you would roll a dice and it would tell you where to go. Yeah. The or process looking decision -making. at, yeah, livers or whatever. to try. It was, it was decision making, but via spirits. And that's right. Pagan so here, idols. what's contrasted here is that the rebellion through arrogance presumptuousness or stubbornness mm -hmm. is divination. Yeah. So that, yeah. So it's like, and then idolatry is like that presumptuousness of putting yourself mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. So by idolatry, putting yourself first, you're committing adultery and rebelling against God. In the yeah. It, well, and, and it makes sense. Like so, a Saul having the arrogance to think that his word is better than God's word. His right. idea, his plan his plan's better than God's plan. Right. God wants me to just burn it all to the ground right there. No, 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 no. I want to save it, bring it to the tent tabernacle, and burn it to it. That's a better idea. Right. Saul's putting his ideas above God's, meaning he is above God. Right. Therefore, it's idolatry. Right. He's the idol. And that's why it's that's why, you know, you'll hear a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians talking about today that we as human beings, as Christians, can still be engaged in idolatry and divination, even though it doesn't look like a physical idol, or right. doesn't look like we're physically trying to read tea leaves or read our horoscopes, we can still be doing that based off of verses like this. Rebellion yeah. is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Right. Scary stuff. It is. Yeah. And especially Cuts for Israel the heart. Who, who put Saul to the top, mm -hmm. which treated like an idol, as we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. So in the end of chapter 15, there's a note that Samuel now will not see Saul again. So this is the end of their relationship, but he mourns for him and mm -hmm. prays for him. So it marks an end of their relationship. First Samuel chapter 16, Samuel then anoints David as king. Mm. Um, and David, through a series of interesting events. He goes into King Saul's service as a musician and armor bearer to Saul. And this is because we're told that a tormenting spirit, God sends a tormenting spirit to Saul yes. after the spirit of God leaves Saul. Mm. So Saul's still king, but now he's not empowered by the, by the spirit of God mm -hmm. to accomplish his mission. And so now he's just tormented. And David, a David's music, as a musician, helps him relax and helps right. him calm down. So David, as a young man, goes into Saul's service, and though it appears that Saul doesn't really pay him too much attention at first. Well, specifically, too, is that he is anointed and he gets rushed with the spirit. Mm -hmm. And that is what comes before. Calm Saul. Well, that's right. That's yeah. what helps calm Saul. Because, uh, you know, Saul doesn't have that anymore. Yeah. Also to be recognized here is that these prophecies are now being fulfilled in this chapter. 
uh, specific prophecies from Genesis 17, verse 6, and verse 16, and Genesis 35, verse 11, which said that a king would come through your descendants. Right. You, right? And then it's also even more harnessed down when we read, a scepter will rise out of Israel and not depart from Judah. When you mix mm-hmm. Jacob's prophecy in Genesis 49, verse 10, mm-hmm. and Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24, verse 17. Mm-hmm. So you have this thing where uh, a king is going to be born, but it won't, it'll come out of, stay in Judah, right? And it'll be in Israel. And this is done through David. So this is the beginning of those prophecies being right. fulfilled. So just to clarify, Saul's family was the tribe of Benjamin. David's family yes. is the tribe of Judah. That's right. So these are all being fulfilled like, through David, right? That's yeah. right. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 17. So this is the famous uh, David and Goliath, okay? So the Philistine army and the Israelite army are camped in the Valley of Elah, and the Philistines uh, have, they have this warrior named Goliath who is extremely tall and extremely strong. And so they've proposed, uh, he's, uh, Goliath is a giant from Gath, and they've proposed um, that this battle be settled by a tournament of warriors. So essentially, their best warrior, Goliath, against Israel's best warrior, and whoever wins, wins the battle, and the other nation will serve, the losing nation will serve the winning nation. So we we um, know at this point that young David was already in the part-time employment of King Saul, mm-hmm. right? In ver- verse 15 tells us that David was coming and going between Saul and his father's sheep. Uh, because again, Back in chapter 16, we learned that David's music, you know, David had been anointed by God to be the king, so he had the spirit of God, but his music was able to calm Saul down whenever he would go into a fit or whatever it is. Off on a tangent. (laughs) So, um, um, So David ends up being allowed to fight Goliath likely because of his standing already with Saul as a spiritual man, perhaps even a prophet, because we know from elsewhere in the Bible, some prophets used music. Right. Um, so anyway, David, through a really interesting sequence of events, ends up being able to fight Goliath, even though he's not a warrior. Um, and he ends up defeating Goliath with a sling, uh, which is ironic because Saul, as a Benjamite, the Benjamites are known for their power with a sling. Yeah. So it's, it, there's a little bit of irony there. The, yes. the very weapon that Saul would have been trained in and good in, David as a child defeats, yes. or as a young man, but not a warrior, defeats this massive. That is ironic. Yeah. And I will say this, if if there wasn't that like beautiful gem of Ruth in between, Judges and Samuel, like how it traditionally was, where it was just Judges, then comes to Samuel, David would have been, if you look at it just as a narrative structure, Mm -hmm. it's been cycles of sin, cycles of sin. Mm -hmm. This is like the moment of fresh air that you would have being like, there's actually someone. Here comes someone. Here comes someone. Following Samuel. Samuel's good too, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know (laughs) what you're saying. But this is someone who's different, right? Yeah. From his youth. And it's it's really nice. It's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. uh, In a political sense. But yeah. So something that normally doesn't make it into the kids' versions of David and Goliath is that, is that, David chops off the head of from Goliath's yeah. body and he brings uh, Goliath's head to Jerusalem. Uh, you know, David comes from Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not an Israelite city at this point. So it's interesting there. More, yeah. So maybe we'll talk about that when we get into David's <laughs> okay. life. But David then keeps Goliath's weapons in his own tent. Um, and 
it's Saul at this point, Saul starts to take more of an interest in David's family. Yeah. You know, he's he's now locked himself into a family covenant with David's family because he said, whoever defeats Goliath, I'll give my daughter in marriage to. Right. So now he's like, huh. Yeah. Who is this kid really? Like, who is this kid really? Jonathan's like floored. He's like, I love this guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, yeah. Like, yeah. They become best buds real, <laughs> yeah, real quick. Buddy cops. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> okay. First Samuel chapter 18. So Saul decides to keep David on full time. Obviously, he's the hero of Israel at mm. this point. And so Jonathan, who we find out later on in some of these chapters, Jonathan is the crowned prince of Israel. So it is Saul's intention to pass the throne of Israel on to Jonathan. Okay. But Jonathan goes out on his own and he makes a covenant with David. He, Jonathan gives David his royal clothing and all of his weapons. So this in the ancient world would have been seen as a transfer of authority. Mm. Most likely, more than likely, meaning that Jonathan is yielding his crown prince status to David. Mm -hmm. So Jonathan's like, I'm not anointed to be the next king of Israel. You clearly are anointed to be the next king of Israel, and I support you. Right. You will be the king of Israel. Um, David is a really successful warrior, and he raises up the ranks very quickly, we're told here in chapter 18. Uh, then Saul turns against David because David is very obviously super popular with the people and very successful. Saul has slain thousands, but David has slain tens of thousands. Yeah. Because remember, Saul's already being tormented. Like he's already got, he's he's got this paranoia going. Yeah. He's got this complex going and now it's being agitated. Yeah. David marries McCall, who is Saul's younger daughter. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, Jonathan has to convince his father, Saul, not to kill David. But eventually, Saul tries to kill David anyway mm -hmm. in sudden outburst. You know, he's trying to spear him with his spear against the wall. But David escapes and McCall, as David's wife, helps David escape the city. Um, so we're told that David goes and he stays with the prophet Samuel in the city of Ramah. And Saul sends men to go get David from Samuel, but each man that each man that he sends ends up being overcome with the spirit of God and prophesying with Samuel's men. And Samuel's men are prophets. So the first set of men and then the second set of men and then Saul himself here in chapter 19 comes and he too starts prophesying along the way and when he gets there to Samuel he strips off all his clothes and he keeps prophesying in Samuel's presence. So why is that? Right. Okay. So there's this really amazing theme of clothing that goes throughout the entire narrative right. of Samuel, Saul, and David. And clothing in the ancient world was really important. And it, it, it could symbolize your very presence definitely symbolized your rank and your authority. Right. So just as Jonathan taking off his clothes and giving them to David, yeah. he's saying, I am no longer the crown prince. You are clearly God's crown prince. Um, Saul stripping off his royal robes is an acknowledgement that the authority of the kingdom is no longer his. Right. In the presence of God, when he's prophesying, because the presence of God has fallen on him, right. in the presence of God, the authority of the kingship of Israel is no now, longer his. That symbol of clothing also carries over to 
the uh, adoption of sunship, where, where, where we will wear white linen clothing is the concept there that's yes. supplied. So you're being clothed in righteousness, mm-hmm. right? Clothed in salvation. Mm-hmm. That's the same sense that you're now a status among like right You're under now Christ, a child of God, a child of God, right? Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, and, and and the New Testament even talks about how we wear Christ like a robe. Right, His righteousness becomes our righteousness, not because we deserve it, not because it's our clothing, right, but because it's His. And so there's a huge, huge theme throughout the Bible of clothing. Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, and what it represents. And I'm sure there's a lot there more to explore, but that's oh, good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. Um. 1 Samuel chapter 20, David and Jonathan, they test, they come up with a ruse, a test to see if Saul is still planning on killing David because he's tricky. You know, Saul goes back and forth. Yeah. Seems pretty bipolar, honestly. Yeah. Um, and then there's this covenant made between the house of David and the house of Jonathan. Essentially, David is always going to treat the descendants of Jonathan with respect and with care, no matter what Saul does. So, um, uh, in verse 31 of 20. chapter 20, uh, Saul ends up cursing his son, Jonathan, for helping David. And he says, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. He must die. So we see here again, Saul's like, what are you doing? This is your kingdom. Yeah. You are the crown prince. Fight for it. And Jonathan's like, I'm not yeah. like God is king. He's already chosen. Who am I to stand in the way? Yeah. So we, Jonathan's awesome. Yeah. And he's amazing. Yeah. Unsung hero, man. I know he really is. Died too early. We're going to get yeah. there. <laughs> okay. First Samuel chapter 21, David is traveling. Uh, he had to leave because Saul is clearly trying to kill him. So he ends up traveling with men who are loyal to him. So some of the military left with him. Um, he stops at a place called Nob where there is a priestly sanctuary and the priest of Nob gives David and these men um, the old consecrated bread. So the bread of the presence that, you know, um, they had to take it out of the presence of God and replace it with new bread of the presence. Um, They allow David and his men to eat that consecrated bread, even though it was just supposed Mm -hmm. to be for the priests because they need to keep David alive. Christ references this. Yes. And they give Goliath's sword. So David must have donated Goliath's sword to the sanctuary at some point. So they give it back to David. So David then interestingly goes to Goliath's hometown of Gath, but he instantly regrets his decision because... He's obviously recognized by the officials there. So David ends up pretending to be insane like Saul. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right? This is probably believable because everyone's probably talking about how crazy Saul is. So he pretends to be insane. Therefore, he's not a threat. Right. He's no longer a threat. Like, look how far this hero has fallen. Yeah. 1 Samuel chapter 22, David's father father's household and all of his brothers they come to him while he's living in the wilderness at a place called the cave of Adullam so apparently it wasn't even safe for David's close relatives to just be out in the open that's how badly Saul wanted to kill him so they were afraid that Saul was going to kill them on account of David Mm. and we learned that at this point there's a little bit of a rebellion that goes on 400 men who are not happy with Saul's reign they come and meet up with David Mm. so um, David ends up making an agreement with the king of Moab for his parents and his family to stay there. Right. So now they're refugees. They're living in Moab, not even in Israel anymore. Um, 
the prophet, a prophet named Gad, uh, meets David and um, tells him where to go. Hmm. This is where you need to go to avoid Saul now. So we, David has a very interesting band of loyal people <laughs> yes, yeah. around him. And fortunately, in the end of chapter 22, we also read about how King Saul massacres the priests at Nob because yes. he learns that they helped David. And then he goes beyond and he massacres the the, the civilian population of the city of Nob. Yeah. Now, it's interesting to note that Saul's men actually wouldn't go through with it. They were like, no way. We can't kill the priests of God. Yeah. Uh, so that's something. But and uh, Saul had an Edomite. So he had people who were not Israelite in his army. Yes. Uh, and, and they did it. Yeah. The foreigners in Saul's service would do it. It's interesting that the Israelite soldiers didn't try to stop them. No, they just let yeah. it happen. But uh, one priest of Nob named Abiathar, he escapes and he goes to live with David. Yes. And he's around for a while. Yes. All right. A long while. Okay, First Samuel chapter 23, David saves the city of Keilah from the Philistines. Uh, Keilah is a, is a town that belongs to the tribe of Judah, right? David's family. Mm -hmm. uh, Saul tries to trap David there, but David escapes, and now he's really on the run. Like Saul's in hot pursuit, and it's place to place to place to place. Um, we learn that David and Jonathan had a plan where David was going to be the king, and Jonathan was going to be his second in command. So perhaps the commander of the army. Right. Learn that. Um, David gets betrayed to Saul by a certain people group. And uh, also David writes Psalm 54 at this point, which is just an interesting. Mm. This is when he writes Psalm 54. Right. It's a fun thing to read when you're reading this part. So mm. if you want to stop and jump ahead and read Psalm 54, there it is. Okay. Saul gets sidetracked because the Philistines invade Israel again. Uh, they attack. So in chapter 24, after this battle is complete, Saul is tipped off that David is lit David is living in the desert oasis of En Gedi, which mm -hmm. you can still visit today. Still go there. Oh, cool. It's really pretty. <laughs> um, so this is when Saul goes, this is the famous story when Saul goes into the cave to go to the washroom. But David and his men are hiding out in the, in this cave in Engedi. Right. There's a lot of caves in Engedi, uh, and David won't let any of his men hurt Saul. But he decides, as proof that he's not going to kill Saul, to cut off a piece of his robe hem. Right. But then David instantly regrets it. Right. He is conscience stricken and says so. Uh, with that, we know earlier that when Saul was disappointed as king. He leaned to Samuel and he grabbed and ripped his rope as well. Mm -hmm. So to tie back to this idea of clothing, what does this cutting of the robe mean specifically? Yeah. Yeah, right. So so again, in the ancient world, if you were a person of stature, so if you were a priest or prophet or if you were king, um, your clothing symbolized your authority. Right. And often the hems of robes would be very decorated. We even see this in early Israelite history. So, for right. example, the hem of the robe of the high priest yes. was decorated with golden bells and pomegranates, pomegranates. right? Yeah. Which has a symbolism all, all in and of itself. But uh, to when when Saul fell and he ripped the, the hem off of Samuel's robe, yeah. Samuel turns around and he goes, so God has ripped the kingdom from you. Right. So you've tried to rip my authority, but all you've done. Right. So, because, so in that situation, what's really cool about that 
is Saul tried to usurp Samuel's authority by offering the sacrifice. Right. So then by falling and ripping the hem of his robe, Samuel's like, you've tried to take my authority from me. Right. Both actually and now symbolically right. in tearing my hem by accident. But God has actually taken away your authority. And so it's the same here right. where David hasn't totally torn away, but he said, see, I could. I could tear right. away your authority, but I'm not going to take your life. Right. But it, it also shows that David specifically is showing that Saul is no longer the king. Like he's trying to say it softly as he can, mm -hmm. right, by doing that. Mm -hmm. But because uh, he even regrets this decision, right, to, because of the, the symbol that comes with it. Yeah. Um, well, and then and then David even says, he, he, he goes, you know, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Right. He wanted nothing to do with that. Yeah. He did not want to be evil. He did not want to be vengeful. He right. did not want to kill Saul. Right. And he promises that he's not going to kill Saul's family. And, I, and yeah. I've always wondered. Uh, I've always wondered if this is because David got a front row seat right after he was anointed king of Israel. He got a front row seat to what happens when the king of Israel stops following God. That's right. And it's bad. Yeah. It was bad. It was. He saw the spirit of God leave. He saw the results of the spirit of God leaving Saul. And it was Saul going into fits mm. of rage and insanity. Yeah. And so... That would have been a very harsh thing to see as someone who was just anointed the next king of Israel. Yeah. Like, you're only the second king of Israel, and this is what happened to the first king of Israel. Yeah. So David's got a lot on his mind, and yeah. it's played about, okay, this is potentially me. And and to, to add more to this, because he goes his whole life. Like, he gets pushed out of Israel. He goes becomes like a wanderer and like a, a bandit, essentially, mm -hmm. because he will not take Saul's life. Like he goes beyond yeah. over and above what it means to preserve God's anointed. Yeah. And if you think about that with what you're saying here, what he sees himself in Saul, how could he justice demands that he can't? If you have a sense of justice about you, how could you kill someone that you see yourself in? Yeah. Right. So, I can yeah. easily become this. I, yeah, that's yeah. right. So it's like, it actually shows where his heart lies. Yeah. Completely. His his whole thing is, you know, well, God anointed you. God needs to remove you. That's right. If God and, and that's what he wants for himself, too. Like, yeah. God anointed me. I want God to remove me. That's right. It's a strong sense of justice. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. OK, so first Samuel, chapter 25, set, there's a record of Samuel's death and burial at his hometown of Ramah. Mm -hmm. And then we have this really interesting story of Nabal and Abigail. So these are very wealthy uh, Calebites. So from the, from, from the family of Caleb. And they own the territory around the city of Hebron. Uh, and clearly Nabal, the husband, is a supporter of Saul. Because when David comes and asks for help, uh, he refuses to help David and his men. And it, the quote is this, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. <laughs> yeah. So in other words, you're you're servant of Saul and you're in the wrong. You have broken away um, from that. Uh, now, this was culturally a very unacceptable thing to do, to refuse help or to refuse payment to someone who has actively protected your livelihood. Because David and his men had protected Nabal's herds and shepherds 
Um, and so as a result, David's asking for hospitality in return. Right. So what should have happened culturally was Nabal, even if he disagreed with him politically, would be like, of course, here's some food. Thank you for saving my livelihood. Right. But that's not what happens. He insults David. So David's like, all right, well, I'm going to have to kill you. Like, I'm going to have to take yeah. this over. This is like, this is battle. This is war. And um, Nabal's wife, Abigail, intercedes and David changes his mind. And she plays the best card that she could have with David. Right. Where she's like, why, why would you bring blood on your hands needlessly? Right. And David's like, oh. Like, that's yeah. his language. Yeah. He, from, he's just said to Saul, evil deeds come from the hands of evildoers. That's right. And I don't want to be an evildoer. Um, Nabal ends up dying 10 days later. So God judges Nabal. And we learn, um, we also learn that David has two wives now besides Michal. Both are from the tribe of Judah and probably very prominent families. It really... Um, this is where we start to get the intimation that David's trying to secure a base of allegiance within his own tribe. Right. So doing this through marriage, doing this through right. um, allyship. is his first big blunder. Yeah. Because this is this this is the steady decline of his of, of so many things. Like this this is where it begins. Mm -hmm. Deuteronomy seventeen. Do not multiply wives. Yeah. To paraphrase it. Yeah. So and you know and this is what it was Abigail. Mm -hmm. He was wise. He ends up marrying Abigail. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, and anyways, so but he starts right here. But he shouldn't have done it. No. No, He, no, no. he shouldn't have done it. But it, seemed, it would have seemed like a really smart thing to do, humanly speaking, because he's on the run. He needs alliances, powerful, rich alliances. That's right. And, that, so and that's Saul, what he's trying to Saul, do. Saul, no, his father-in-law, hates him to death. Yep. So he's probably thinking that McCall's gone. Like he's probably has yeah. all these things across his well, mind. Well, and McCall was gone. Yeah. Because we learn also in the end of verse uh, chapter 25 that McCall, Saul remarried her to a man in the tribe of Benjamin. Right. So essentially, this takes away a claim to the throne of Israel from David. Right. Because David was said, would say, well, my first wife is McCall, the, fir the first king of Israel's daughter. Right. I have a wife of royal blood. Right. So Saul's like, not anymore. Right. So he remarries her to right. someone in the tribe of Judah. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, Benjamin, sorry. Right. So and here we go. The, the problem starts Here we now. go. All the right, problems. Right. Okay. First Samuel chapter 26, uh, people named the Ziphites, they rat on David again to Saul. And David and his nephew Abishai uh, sneak into Saul's camp and they steal Saul's spear and water jug and then they confront him. Again, mm. like, see, if we wanted to kill you, we would have just killed you. In chapter 27, David and his, and his men get their families back because their families were stolen in warfare. Um, and they end up going back to the city of Gath. Uh, Gath, the king of Gath, then gives David and his men the city of Ziklag. And this becomes a, an Israelite city. Uh, they live there for a year. Um, they from Ziklag, they go out and they raid enemy territory, and, but they kill everyone. So essentially they're living in Philistinian territory on the on good faith, but they're going out and they're killing Philistinian villages and towns, mm -hmm. but they're killing everyone so that the Philistines don't know that they're secretly sabotaging the Philistines. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. In chapter 28, the Philistines go to war against Israel again. 
Saul uses a medium who lives in Endor to summon Samuel's spirit after the normal methods of inquiring after God fail. So offering sacrifices doesn't work. Uh, looking at the prof, uh, asking prophets doesn't work. Using the Urim and Thummim doesn't work. So God is not talking to Saul mm. at this point. So he goes through a medium. And the message to Saul is, tomorrow you die and <laughs> David's going to be king. In chapter 29, the Philistine commanders, um, so the Philistines are going out to war and David is like, I'm going to war with you. And the commanders are like, no way will we allow you as Hebrews to fight against other Hebrews. The king trusts David, but none of the Philistine commanders trust David. Right. I mean, for good reason. Yeah, it makes sense. In chapter 30, uh, David returns to Ziklag and the Amalekites had raided and stolen everything from Ziklag. Um, and this is where David experiences a mutiny of his own. The men talk about stoning David, uh, but instead, um, on the advice of God through Abiathar the priest, David leads them in war. He's like, no, we're going to go. We're going to get the Amalekites. It's going to be fine. And they did. They got their right. families back. Um, we also see David again trying to strengthen ties with the tribe of Judah. Mm -hmm. He sends them tribute from his war. So to all the prominent families in the tribe of Judah, David sends them gifts mm -hmm. from of warfare. So he's trying to butter them up. He's like, see? <laughs> Chapter 31, um, Saul, Jonathan, and Saul's other sons die in battle um, on Mount Gilboa. And there's, there's a note here that says when um, the Israelites around that area realize what had happened, they end up abandoning the cities. They're just, they just leave. But then the Philistines occupy that territory. So Israel has lost a chunk of territory now to the Philistines. Yeah. Uh, the bodies of Saul and uh, the princes were hung up on the wall of Beth Shen as a shame to Israel and to the royal family. Um, and Saul's armor, his royal armor, was set up in a Philistinian temple. Uh, the men of Jabesh Gilead, do you remember Jabesh Gilead? Yes. That at the beginning of Saul's reign, he saved. Yeah. They go on this potential suicide mission to save the bodies of Saul and his sons. But they right. win. They are able to take the bodies and they... Um, they burn them. They were probably pretty decomposed. Yes. So they burn them by cremation and then they bury the remains. Right. All right. A few more chapters in, into 2 Samuel and then we'll be done for this week. 2 Samuel chapter 1, David hears about the death of Saul and his family um, from an Amalekite who was a member of Saul's army. This Amalekite claims to have finished Saul off at his request. And so he had brought Saul's crown and uh, armband. Apparently he had a royal armband. Um, to David and David, like thinking that he was going to get a reward or yeah. something, this Amalekite. But David ends up executing the man for killing Saul. Um, and then he mourns yeah. for Saul and Jonathan. Mm. Um, so we see David mourning for his enemy. That's right. But then also for Jonathan, he would have yeah. been very sad. So ends the bromance between the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. best buds, right? Okay, Second uh, Samuel chapter 2. David moves back into Judah, specifically to the city of Hebron. There's a lot of history with Hebron. It's a good place to look up in a biblical dictionary. Um, and the tribal leaders of Judah that David has sent presents to, they come and they crown him the king of Judah, the king of the tribe of Judah. Um, 
However, not all of Israel is on board with this because we learned that the army commander of Saul sets up the son of Saul named Ishbosheth, who didn't die, as king over the rest of Israel. Now, then begins a sort of civil war between Saul's family and the Israelites loyal to Saul and David and the tribe of Judah. So the commander of David's army, whose name is Joab, who's also David's nephew, uh, he meets Ishbosheth's army at the Pool of Gibeon for a contest of arms. And when they tie, when their warriors kill each other, battle breaks out. Mm. And Saul's side, or Ishbosheth's side, loses and they're on the run. So we're told that Joab and his brother Abishai, who we've met before, and Ashael, I'm probably saying that wrong, but they've been part of David's military and they're his nephews. They're the sons of his sister. Um, Ashael will not stop chasing the Israelite commander of, of the army, of Ishbosheth's army. Um, and apparently, Ashael's unarmed, even though he's chasing this man. And he gets killed by the commander of Ishbosheth's army, who's named Abner. Uh, and the battle's ended because everyone's just floored right. that Ashael has been killed. Right. Chapter three, we learn of four more wives of David. <laughs> yeah. Dude, (laughs) we know that the first two wives other than McCall were likely to secure relationships with Judah to get that kingship, right? Um, But then uh, one of David's wife was a princess of Gesher, which is a really important territory and so represents a treaty, an allyship with them. Um, We learned that the commander of of Saul's army, Abner, had been strengthening his position in Saul's household. So he's probably looking to take over from Ishbosheth, like this king. Um, but he gets called out on it and he defects to David, uh, which is really interesting. So now David has this man who was loyal to Saul's house and now he's claiming to be loyal to David. So there's all this political intrigue, right. dangerous military intrigue that's going on. Is Abner going to kill David? Or is Abner going to serve David? We don't really know. Um, We also are told that David takes McCall back. He takes her away from her Benjamite husband. Because again, David is trying to secure his throne. So this makes sense. This is his claim to the throne of Saul. Right? So then this man, Abner, who's deflected from Saul and is living with David, he begins brokering... um, trying to solidify a takeover of all Israel for David. But Joab, who's the commander of David's army, does not trust Abner. Remember, Abner just killed his little brother. Yeah. Killed Joab's little brother, who was unarmed. And he doesn't trust Abner's motives. He thinks that Abner is going to kill David. So Joab kills Abner. But then David holds Joab accountable for his whole life because of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hard. Because imagine if David had supported Joab, all of Israel who loved Abner would have hated David. Yeah. So David's like, who am I going to, But how am I going to deal with but, this? It's yeah. a political nightmare but, but for even, David. But even more than politically, he tells Solomon. He's like, look, don't trust Joab. He just mm-hmm. says that. And that, you know, so the ends Joab then. But, like, 
it, it actually deeply affects this whole act that Joab does. Yes. He goes, it's out of revenge, but it was a time of war, which it's a different contract against mm-hmm. David's side. Well, yeah, because, yeah. well, that is true. David holds Joab to a standard that he doesn't hold anyone else to. Right. When you do, like, a when you do some research into it where it's like, where you do, like, how did David handle other people killing right. people in a time of warfare? It's strictly because, I think, it's strictly because Joab threatened David's rule just as it was getting started. Right. In terms of like, he, David almost had all of Israel and Joab put that all on the line. So David needed yes. someone to blame. Right. And then he actually, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a deeper, does. deeper conflict. It's a, it's a deep, deep, deep conflict. Okay. So uh, chapter four, two men end up assassinating Ishbosheth, that rival king. Uh, in Israel, and they take his head to David. But David, you, you don't execute royal family. Right. To David. David executes those assassins. Um, we learn, David learns, that Jonathan has a surviving son, uh, but he is he's Crippled. lost the, the use of his feet yeah. or um, his ankles because they got broken in um, while they were fleeing from battle, and they healed incorrectly. And this, this son's name is Mephibosheth. Uh, and David treats him very well. Yes. Uh, in Second Samuel chapter five, David finally manages to become king over all of Israel. He conquers Jerusalem for the new capital city, which we learn later on it's Joab that captures the city for right. David, um, and he he earns back his role as commander of the army. Right. That's how Joab gets it back. <laughs> um, and there's a record of David defeating the Philistines. In chapter 6, David tries to bring the Ark of the Covenant from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem. I say try because it fails miserably because they're not following the law of God. They put it on a cart. The cart starts to fall. A guy tries to stop the Ark of the Covenant from falling, but you're not allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant, and he ends up dying, and everyone's scared. Uh-huh. It's not. It's not a good situation. Um, there's also this very this very bitter interaction between McCall and David, um, and it ends with McCall having no children to the day of her death. So um, some people take this as a punishment that God like uh, made her barren, but it's it's just as likely that David and McCall just never well, consummated their remarriage. There, there's a reason for they were prat- never intimate again. Right. There's a practical reason for this too. It says, okay, I'm just going to read it in sure. verse 16. Then uh, verses 20, 23. I'll just read it all as one. Sure. As the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, like pretty cynical, uncovering himself uh, today before the eyes of his mm-hmm. female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And then it says they never had a child, you know, after that. So the point here is that I think people are like, oh, McCall, how could she say anything? It's <laughs> not at all what's happening here. As we talked about, there's a steady decline in moral perspective with David not introspecting about mm-hmm. his decisions, especially in this sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So McCall, like he's he's basically uncovering himself actually in a way that's not favorable for a king. But go ahead. Okay. Yes. Yes. But there's something that we always miss here. Go ahead. So there's this whole thing where we're like, David was dancing naked before the people. That's not actually what happened. McCall accuses him of being uncovered, of being naked. Yes. But we're told in the earlier verses that he's wearing a Levitical robe. Right. He is wearing what all the other Levites were wearing. The Levites were not allowed to be naked. They had to wear undergarments underneath their robe. That right. was a rule for them. Yeah. So what does she mean? Well, it says before the festival, David stripped off his kingly robes and he put on a priestly robe, right? like a humble priestly robe, not like a high priestly priestly robe. And he danced in the procession of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, McCall has just been taken from her new husband strictly so David can solidify his claim to the throne. Right. Then when they're bringing the ark in, he takes off his claim of kingship like it's nothing. Right. And he's dancing with the commoners in the street. So from McCall's perspective, you stole my life to solidify your kingship. And then you treat your kingship with contempt so you can dance with the slave girls. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. It's completely. So like you're like. Oh, when you right. it's it's so much more interesting it, when you look at the human dynamic. Not saying that she was right at at all. Right. But what she she's not accusing him of being naked. She's accusing him of treating the kingship with contempt. Right. And he's saying, because I'm not really the king, God decides. God decides. But right. then she's like, but then why do you need me? Right. And there's a point there. No, yeah. Right. And there, there's a point there. So this yeah. is this is kind of like David is. Essentially, I want to—I don't want to say confused because he's not confused, but he's essentially kind of being a hypocrite a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's the whole multiple wives thing. He is breaking the law. That's of God. right, and th- and that's why. So this is this is rough. His steady moral, de- pers- uh, steady decline in his moral perspective. Rough stuff. Right. So, anyways, just want to point anyways, that out here. It's, that it's, McCall, it's, I love McCall so wasn't solely to blame in this case. <laughs> yes, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Right. This Agreed. is uh, there's a bigger. Issue happening. There's a bigger picture. Yeah. Okay, last chapter, chapter seven. We're just going to mention it. David wants to build a temple for God because he's all comfortable in his new Jerusalem palace. But God says, no, you're a man of war. You are not fit to build me a house. In fact, I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty, right? So there's this Davidic covenant that happens. We call it the Davidic covenant. It's a covenant between God and David that God will build David an everlasting dynasty. Right. And that's that. That's that. Anything else before we sign up? No, I think think that's good. We can cover it next week. We can. Okay. Leave your comments and your questions, your disagreements or your agreements or whatever down in the comments below. We love reading them and I hope you have a really great week studying the Bible. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.